We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. This is the LakersNation.com podcast. We've got a lot to break down today on this episode of The Pond. If you're watching the YouTube version of this, great. Thank you guys for, for doing that. Remember, we are doing the full-length podcast five days a week at least now. If we wind up with a weekend game, eh, then lo and behold, you get an extra podcast for the week. But again, every single day, Monday through Friday, there will be a fresh podcast for you in your podcast feed. I will put them on the YouTube channel as well, so you get to pick where you want to view or listen to each show so just know that that's going to be there sometimes it takes the form of the post game show when we have a midweek game or something like that but in any event your podcast feed will have a fresh pod on it every day monday through friday all right we've got a lot to get into today we're going to talk of course a little bit about russell westbrook i do have the mailbag to crack open here we need to talk about anthony davis as well in fact that's where we're going to start joining me is sean davis from lakersnation.com sean how are you doing I'm doing all right, Trevor. Uh, how are you doing, actually? Feels like I need to ask you that for once. I am I am hanging in there right now. It's been uh, – it, it, I'm glad the Lakers got the win over the Knicks. That certainly helped lift my spirits. Yeah. I think it lifted the spirits of, of Lakers fans a little bit as well. I've been doing a little bit of a um, The Office. I wouldn't want to say a rewatch. I've seen it so many times already. But I'm kind of going through and, like, picking – specific episodes that i know are fantastic and the last one i watched might be the greatest episode and that was the dinner party one so i'm feeling pretty good after watching that That, just a classic episode so coming into the show i've got that kind of that vibe still because i just watched it it was fantastic and uh and so i'm excited for this you get the dinner party episode and following up a lakers win hey that's a win-win there absolutely absolutely now Anthony Davis, we got to talk about him because here's here's the thing. I've gotten so much about Russell Westbrook, and that's fine. That's fine. We can definitely, and we will talk about him on this show. We've talked about him quite a bit, but I almost feel like the Russ concern or the worries over Russell Westbrook, particularly after that horrific performance against the New York Knicks, yeah, it's almost eclipsing, or it kind of is eclipsing, 
Anthony Davis and what he's done. And so I don't want to lose sight of what AD is doing. And not to mention LeBron coming back. That kind of stole some of the spotlight as well. And rightfully so. LeBron was fantastic against the Knicks. He was a game-time decision. And then he just messes around and drops a triple-double. Don't get me wrong. LeBron deserves plenty of spotlight. But Anthony Davis, let's talk a little bit about him. Because since he has come back from his injury, since he's really gotten his legs under him, he has been absolutely fantastic throwing away his first game back where you could see he was trying to get his legs under him since then since then anthony davis is averaging 29 points 29 points 13 boards 2.4 assists 1.8 steals 2.8 blocks on 58 percent shooting you're talking about just about 30 and 13 for anthony davis since he came back lebron said the injury the time away reignited his fire, his drive, all of that that kind of stuff. I'm paraphrasing, but LeBron said that time away really got him going again. What are you seeing, Sean, from Anthony Davis that is allowing him to turn back in to his old self? He's he's as close as we've seen to the 2020 bubble version since of the, Anthony yeah. Davis since then, right now. Well, I think the biggest thing that you have to start off with is his effort defensively. And even that Nets game, while a lot of people... Didn't like the fact he didn't score the ball well. He only had four rebounds, I think. I kind of highlighted in, in a film breakdown after the game, which you guys should check out. Cheap plug there. Um, that AD defensively really helps this Lakers team. And I think, where are they, Trevor? They're 106 defensive rating. I'm kind of making that up on my head there. I think that's accurate. When he's on the floor, and when he's off the floor, that drops like 117. So when... He's on the floor. Defensively, the Lakers are so much better. I highlighted that after that Nets game. It's just continued to show since then. But now he's scoring the basketball again. And that mid-range jumper, that 17 to 20-foot jumper is really falling. And I, we were talking about this a little off-camera. The only thing that Anthony Davis isn't doing well right now is shooting the three-ball well. When In the five, last five games, it's at 16%. So defensively, he's back to his old self. Last thing, I think it was a play in the third quarter of the Knicks game. Lakers are on a run. They go, the Knicks go into to a pick and roll, and he does drop coverage, which is fine because he's Anthony Davis, so he could cover the roller and the uh, ball handler at the same time. Somebody misses the rotation on the weak side, so not only does Anthony Davis basically eliminate the pick and roll, but he somehow makes a play on the weak side rotation. I'm like, this is why Anthony Davis, when healthy, is a perennial defensive player of the year candidate. He is truly phenomenal, and he's reminded everybody this is what we expected. This was the narrative surrounding Anthony Davis coming into the season was AD is going to be on a mission. He's going to be reminded because he didn't have a good season last year, and a lot of it, you know, plagued with injuries. Anthony Davis is going to come out and remind everybody who he is, and we hadn't seen it yet, and that and that had led to frustration to the point where fans were even pointing fingers at Anthony Davis, saying he's to blame for the Lakers' struggles, or at least partly to blame. And now, and again, let's see if this is sustainable. So I don't want to just assume he's back, back forever. But so far, this has been tremendous. And you were pretty darn close on those numbers there. It, Lakers defensive rating over the last six with Anthony Davis on the court. 106. 106 points per 100 possessions. Anthony Davis pretty off good. the floor. 118. 118. That's insane. In fact, the Lakers, their net rating goes from positive with Anthony Davis on the floor to minus 9.6 points per 100 possessions. So Anthony Davis being off the floor right now, 
over the last six games, Anthony Davis, when he's off the floor, if you were to, to extrapolate that out for 100 possessions, which is you know, pretty close to a, an NBA game, you're losing that game by nearly 10 points. Nearly a double-digit loss by Anthony Davis being off the floor. That is absolutely ridiculous numbers. No, small sample size, but still, the impact he's making on the defensive end is incredible. Frank Vogel, defense first head coach, he's got to feel like so relieved. This has got to be a little bit of a weight off of his shoulders now that Anthony Davis is back out on the floor and he's got somebody who can do the things that he's been wanting done out there. Not saying the Lakers defense is great now, but at least you've got Anthony Davis who can erase a lot of mistakes. Yeah, again, in the last six games, that 106 defensive rating with Anthony Davis on the floor, don't want to look at it as a whole or without AD. When AD's on the floor, 106 would be bet would be third best in the league. Mm-hmm. Just behind the Thunder, who are 103.5, and the Celtics have been playing phenomenal defensively in the last six. So with AD, they're the third best defense in the league. I know it's a small sample size, but yeah, AD is such an impact defensively. That's not even talking about the fact he's averaging 30 and 13. Yeah, I would caution, don't go running around saying the Lakers are, don't say, oh, the Lakers are the third best defense in the in the league. No, don't say with, that. Don't say with that. AD on the floor, because that's just, it's not accurate, but I think it's important to note that small sample size or not, because it is, it's a small sample yeah. size, but it still underscores just how good Anthony Davis is on the defensive end and then offensively. I love the confidence we've seen in his jumper. And I'm not talking about the three ball because that's not falling, but the mid-range jumper has come back. He's shooting that with confidence. I love seeing that. He's aggressive attacking the basket, the offensive boards. He's been great there. Anthony Davis has looked tremendous. This is going to help the Lakers out quite a bit. They have plenty of other things to figure out, but we didn't know if Anthony Davis had this anymore. That, That was a real question because we saw it in 2020 and we have not seen it since. And in some ways, even though we don't know how much this is going to help, how far this takes the Lakers, if AD can sustain this, there is some comfort in knowing that it's there. That that peak that we saw in 2020 was not just a momentary spike and then the bottom dropped out and we never get back to that point again. Yeah, it's so relieving and good to see Anthony Davis playing at this superstar top 10 player level again now again let's just hope that he can sustain this because if he could sustain this level of greatness you have him and lebron playing at the level that he's playing right now i'm not gonna throw out you know words or whatever but you're gonna be a pretty good team come playoff time because i still think the lakers make manage to make the playoffs i think they're, they're figuring out the rotation around lebron and ad is going to be important yes historically it's been a very, very simple, very simple recipe for success. Very simple. It's been put guys who can defend and shoot around LeBron. That's it. To put mm-hmm. LeBron on the floor and put guys who can defend and shoot around him. Now, the Lakers don't really have that. Um, that's part of the reason why Stanley Johnson has been so impactful is because they don't really have guys who can defend, particularly on the wings. Yeah. Um, the guys who can, a lot of the guys who can shoot can't really defend. A lot of the guys who can defend can't really shoot little bit of a mess there. So for Frank Vogel and the coaching staff, it's still going to be a process in terms of figuring out what the best lineups really look like, what the best rotation is going to look like. Malik Monk, who Ron Gutterman and I earlier today talked about, uh, which you guys should definitely go check out that video. We broke down kind of his role moving forward, whether or not the Lakers can keep him, all that kind of stuff. That's up on the YouTube channel. Um, But 
Frank Vogel and the coaching staff figuring this stuff out is going to be really important heading into the playoffs. And a lot of that, too, will hinge upon whether or not they can make a trade by Thursday. And we're going to talk all about trade in just a bit. We've got a lot, a lot of questions in the mailbag, not surprisingly, that have to do with trade. So we are getting there on that. First, though, before we get to it, I want to talk about Russell Westbrook. So something came out. Heavy.com had this, this quote from a rival executive. Well, I guess they didn't say rival. They said unnamed NBA executive said this. So this is anonymous, obviously. We don't know if it's a Western Conference, Eastern Conference, whatever. It's an NBA executive. Said, it's obvious they're trying to move Westbrook, which is damn near impossible. They know that roster is just not working. So, Man, where was this at in the summer? <laughs> Before the trade. Before the trade. You know, a lot of people were saying that Russell Westbrook was not going to work with the Lakers. The fit was wonky. And, and we talked about it. We talked about the Lakers were basically gambling on talent outweighing fit. Talent overcoming fit, which sometimes happens. Sometimes happens. Uh, so far, it has not for the Lakers. And I don't, I think that we tend to be very reactionary in the moment, game to game. And that's that's the nature of fandom. But I don't want to approach this as Russell Westbrook is the guy that he was in the game against the New York Knicks. Because I don't think that's an accurate representation of who Russell Westbrook is as a player. To just assume that that because that was probably his worst game to assume that that's just what he is moving forward. I think is not honest analysis, but I think it's also fair to say that this has not worked out anywhere close to the way the Lakers were hoping. And now this executive is saying that it's obvious the Lakers would like to move him or trying to move him. So if you're Rob Palenka and you're trying to make a move here with Russell Westbrook, I think the question becomes, is it worth giving up? assets giving up something to move off of his contract is that something that you'd be interested in doing if you're the lakers me personally and i've got a couple of trade suggestions myself myself me personally no i mean it, it's tough like if you're saying like for example a random trade i got was like russ tht non and the first for for players and that's why I'm like, okay, no, because you're asking me to give up THC and none added on to that first round pick. I think then you're asking for a little too much if I'm Rob Polinka. But like if it's Russ and then the first, or then Russ and then none and THC, I kind of have a problem with that because I do think you have to look at this, uh, especially in that trade, you get other tradable contracts for the offseason. Um, so I think. It really depends. I, I don't feel uncomfortable trading that 2027 first and then THT and none as well in a potential package. I think the optics matter. I think the optics matter. If you're, if you, yeah. let's say just straight up, but let, we'll talk, you know, the John Wall trade room that's out there, that the Rockets would swap John Wall for Russell Westbrook, but the Lakers have to throw him the 2027 first. Optics wise, that doesn't look good. That the guy you just traded for, the guy you just gave up a first to get plus yeah. stuff. And Ron and I talked about this. The ideal fit on the Lakers now with the emergence of Malik Monk as really your third scoring option, a starting lineup of Stanley Johnson, LeBron, AD, and Malik Monk, the fifth guy, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Alex Caruso, those guys would be the perfect fit. A 3 and D style player that can maybe handle the ball a little bit. If we want to go back, I mentioned Derek Fisher, go back in time, Ron Harper, guys like that. Those are the guys 
that are a perfect fit now with this new look starting lineup thanks to the emergence of Malik Monk. But if you're the Lakers, to throw in a first now and to just say we're done on Russell Westbrook, it looks bad. It could be bad business too. You mentioned putting in THT. I think the Lakers have to be careful with THT. Because most likely, if you trade him now, you've got to be sure you're getting something, I think, that can really make a difference. Because most likely, if you trade THT now, let's say you use whatever value he's got, and he may not have the same value around the NBA, team by team, it's going to vary. Most likely, though, THT will look better a year from now than he does right now. Because that's the nature of going from 21 to 22, getting another year of experience in the NBA. Most likely, he's going to look better a year from now. And if you trade him now, you could very well be selling low on him. Now, maybe the Lakers are in a situation right now where it's worth it to sell low. Like, they, they have to. They want to try to maximize the, what, they're, what they're doing at this moment with LeBron James at 37. That's understandable. But I think if the Lakers are going to attach assets to Russell Westbrook just to move him, it can't be a desperation, just get this guy off the roster type thing. I don't think you can approach it from that scenario. I think you've got to be careful. You have to get something that is actually going to help you. And because of that, or in part because of that, I don't see a trade actually happening with Russ. Yeah. Again, tw as you mentioned with THT, 21 to 22, 22 to 23, preferably staying with the same team as well. Um, that's going to make a big difference. So THT especially... I'm a little more cautious about. Um, and then, again, like a Russ and John Wall potential trade, like you mentioned, that looks really bad because you just traded to Westbrook. You're trading him back. You're giving up a first-round pick. Like, here, just take him. We don't want him anymore. Like, yeah, that looks that's a really bad look for the, for the Lakers organization. And here's the other thing that we should mention in that is that Russell Westbrook, you know, his comments after getting benched in overtime, and by the way, you know, we should mention this. And, and this was, I didn't mention this. This was me missing something too. Frank Vogel benched him at the end of the first half. And in our breakdown after the game, Matt, Matt the Optimist Peralta and I were talking. And we mentioned Vogel finally benching Russ for overtime and saying he should have benched him earlier in the fourth quarter. And we, we omitted that he had actually benched him at the end of the first half as well. In, in that game. Yeah. Um, now, in that scenario, he could have looked at it and said, well, he's got two fouls at this point, and had that be the excuse. But Frank Vogel clearly... Yeah, the he, excuse, he was clearly yeah. not happy with what he was seeing out of Russell Westbrook. So, if you're, the, if you're the Lakers and you're in this situation with Russ, the only way that you're really going to be desperate to move him, though, understanding he, he's not playing great, but the only way you're going to be desperate to move him is if he's really raising a stink, right? If he's really creating problems for you, then then yeah. you're probably going to move. I'm talking about locker room problems and all that. After the game, yeah. Russell Westbrook said pretty much everything that the Lakers would have hoped he would say. He completely deflected, didn't, didn't seem overly upset or anything like that about getting benched. Instead said, it's not about him. It's all about the team. And they're happy that the team got the win. And if that meant that he needed to be benched, then he, he needed bench. He took a, it was a very, very mature approach. However, I think something that came up recently is interesting when I, and it, I always think back to it when Russ gives responses like this, which he did the last time he was benched as well. After kind of a 24 hour cooling off period, he gave that inter interview to Woj 
I believe it was Brian Windhorst on his podcast who mentioned that, you know, Russell Westbrook, he's talked about how much he loves being in LA in part because now he's with his family. He's got his family around. How much of Russ saying yeah. all of this stuff that he's okay with being benched and all, all the great things that he's saying, and again, the things that the team would love to hear, how much of that is don't trade me? Russ saying, don't trade me. I'm not going to be a problem. And maybe that's something that just, maybe that's really his mindset at this point. Maybe it is. I, I'm not trying to say he's being dishonest here, but I just think it's something that you have to weigh. The trade deadline's coming up. Russ knows if he complains loudly about being benched, he's gone. He gives the Lakers yeah. reason to pay something to move him. So I wonder how much of this is, I don't want to get traded. So I'm going to keep myself in check here. I'm not going to, I'm not going to express my frustration with being benched. Yeah, I forget who said it. It might have been Ryan Ward from a Lakers Nation staff that was like, it's easier to say this when you're when you're winning cause, and then you bench him uh, to start overtime against the New York Knicks. I think it's definitely easier to say this if, you, if, you, if you're winning. Um, but here's kind of a bold take, Trevor. And this is actually really bold, so hear me out. If Russ, and you kind of mentioned it a little bit there, if Russ is causing locker room issues, right? Because here's the thing. Russ has to accept his role now. And Russ's role, he's not the number one option. He's not the number two option. You can make it argue he's not the third option offensively anymore. So he has to accept his role, and that is being a, is he even a primary facilitator anymore because you have LeBron. As a secondary facilitator, that makes smart reads offensively. He's really cut down his turnovers in the month of January. He only had two and a half, a little bit above two and a half turnovers a game. So being careless, uh, not being careless with the basketball, making good cuts when the teams throw different looks at you defensively, and then just not being a liability defensively. That needs to be Russ's role, right? If he's not willing to accept that, and Trevor, this is where the bold part comes in, I think you have to trade Russ because think about it, LeBron's only going to be this good for so long. Right. And, w and with the roster you currently have, you, you can't do anything at the deadline. You can't do anything really at the, in the off season, as long as Russell Westbrook is on your books. Right. So if, and this is an if like if Russ is being having locker room issues or whatever, if he's not buying into his role and what the coaching staff wants him to do, I think you have to move on from Russ because LeBron's only going to be this good for so long and you want to maximize the AD and LeBron James pairing while being able to potentially bring back guys in the offseason like Malik Monk, who I think you've mentioned in the past, is probably at the very minimum going to get the mid-level exception and the most Lakers could give them is the taxpayer mid-level exception in the offseason, which is around $6 million. Yeah, I think that's something. And, we, and Ron and I talked about that on the, the previous video. If you can get, if you can figure out a way to free up some flexibility to keep Malik Monk, you have to take a really good look at that because I think he's a piece that you could keep for a while. Uh, he's that good. He's been he's been fantastic for the Lakers. Um, Russ, I just don't know if there's a taker out there. I don't know if there's a taker because if if yeah, you have to give up, if you have to give up a lot, it, you know it it may be. And I'm not saying Russ is unhappy because again, right now he's saying all the right things. He's, say, he's yeah. saying all the right things right now. So he's making it so he's not an issue at the moment in terms of, of being benched. And and hopefully, hopefully he continues to have that attitude. 
and hopefully he doesn't give Frank Vogel a reason to bench him. And, and then we're fine. Then, and then you've got no problems there. Now, fit-wise, you yeah. can still talk a little bit about, we can still talk about that. Fit-wise, it's not great. Um, but I went back and watched that Knicks game, and a lot of this is defensively. A lot of the concerns with Russell Westbrook, as much as we focus on, oh my gosh, how did he miss that layup? How did he miss that dunk? What about that turnover? A lot of the issues are defensive. When you're watching Russell Westbrook, and a lot of the stuff that happens with him, it's off ball, and then it leads to a greater defensive breakdown. So we talked a little bit earlier about Anthony Davis's stats. Let's talk a little bit about this oh for Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Over the past six games, and again, this is a small sample size, everybody, so don't assume that this is us saying this is how it will always be. But over the past six, with Anthony Davis back in action, Russell Westbrook's net rating is minus 7.3. Minus 7.3. Their defensive rating is 114.6. Now, I want you to keep in mind, though, who he spends most of his time on the floor with. He's in the starting lineup with LeBron and Anthony Davis. With it... it Knowing that he a lot of his minutes overlap with those guys, it's a minus 7.3. Anthony Davis and LeBron both have positive net ratings. Both, both have positive net ratings. So think about how bad Russ would have to be in those minutes when he's not playing with those guys to drag them down, to drag himself down to a negative net rating. Russ's defensive, the Lakers' defensive rating, 114.6 with Russ on the floor. The Lakers defensive rating with Russ off the floor. Just not in the game, just on the bench. Any minutes that Russell Westbrook's not on the floor, the Lakers defensive rating is 96.7. I, I mean... By the way, guys, that that is like an insane level of... Like, that is really good. That's... As much as we were highlighting how much better the Lakers defense is when Anthony Davis is on the floor... Russell Westbrook being off the floor is it's like making an Anthony Davis level impact on defense, just not having him on the floor, which now, again, I, that's hyperbolic. This is a small sample size. I would not expect it to always look like that, but I'm just saying it underscores that defensively. I think that's one of the big concerns here with Russ, and maybe it doesn't get enough attention, but it certainly does from Frank Vogel, and I think it did play a major role in why Frank Vogel benched him, because you weren't getting the attention to detail on the defensive end of the floor as much as, again, as much as fancy. He missed a layup, and that all that's frustrating. A lot of the off-ball stuff, if you go back and you watch, my goodness, it is it's rough. It's really rough when you're watching what the defense is having to do to make up for Russell Westbrook in some of these scenarios. So fixing that has got to be a priority. And if there's a trade that's out there for him, you've got to consider it. Otherwise, I think you're looking at just limiting his minutes until you can get him to get into that specific role that you're talking about, Sean, having him be that off-ball guy, having him focus on defense and saying, look, this is, this is what you have to do to get on the floor. And maybe Frank Vogel took a step in that direction by benching him in overtime in the win against the Knicks. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, you touched on like the layups, and yes, that's very frustrating. But one thing I think Frank is, and he's a defensive mind coach. Heck, I work with one myself as well. They don't really care. I don't think Frank cares if Russ misses a layup. I don't think he cares, especially because of the status of Russell Westbrook, what he's achieved in his career as recent as last season. I don't think Frank Vogel cares about the missed layups or the bad jumpers, because if he did, Russell Westbrook would not be on the floor at all, right? So I don't think Frank Vogel cares. But Frank does care, and it's very apparent, is the little things defensively. The Lakers outside of maybe what Stanley Johnson, Anthony Davis, and Reeves maybe. They don't have a lot of great point of attack on-ball defenders, but Malik Monk is a smart off-ball defender. LeBron is a really smart off-ball defender. You have guys that are really good off the ball, so you don't have to be this you know Kawhi Leonard-level on-ball defender, but you need to be smart with your rotations when it's time to trap. You're talking communication defensively, or even like really little stuff, fighting over top of screens so that they don't get an easy drive to the basket. The little things like that, and that's where Russell Westbrook really struggled at in the next game, and quite frankly, for the majority of the season. You know, I think one thing that we need to mention about Russ, and Frank Vogel has gone to this a lot. Frank Vogel is a, a, a new school coach, if we want to look at him in that way. And I'm not talking about X's and O's. I know he's adapted his schemes yeah. uh, quite a bit. Um, Frank Vogel is new school in terms of how he how he handles his players. Uh, we've heard quite a bit about mm-hmm. the collaborative uh, aspect of any of his film sessions. It is very much not him standing at the front of the room, barking at the players, saying, this is what you did here, this is what you did there. And there's a lot of voices in the room. Players are speaking up. They're, they're involved in the process, right? Um, which coming from an education background, I can, I can appreciate that. There's studies and everything that have shown that that creates more buy-in. And, and there's definitely positives to doing something like that. Um, Frank Vogel is also, in terms of how he relates to the players through the media, he's also a shield, right? You never hear Frank Vogel really criticize his players, at least not, not publicly, not, not to the media. Instead, he does a really good job deflecting blame away from his players. Okay. That's, that's his role. That's the, and not every coach is like that. You think back to coaches in the past, think about all the things Phil Jackson used to say in the media. Right. But, but times have changed. <laughs> times have changed. You look at the dynamic of the NBA, you look at player movement, the way it is. Uh, you look at the way that the contracts are set up now, which creates more player movement. It's becoming more and more of a player's league. And so players don't like coaches that call them out in the media. And then, yeah, we're, we're seeing more and more coaches that don't do that. Don't do that kind of stuff. Cause otherwise you're perhaps losing the, losing the players that way. And then players aren't coming to play for you. And then your franchise is in, is in trouble. So it's a different world than then. But Frank Vogel has consistently said, 
Russell Westbrook, one of the things that we have to remember with him is that he's the guy who's played every game and everything is constantly changing around him. And Russ has mentioned this too, that what the Lakers have asked him to do has changed a ton. You look at the game against the Charlotte Hornets. It was LeBron and AD are out. Here you go, Russ. Here's the ball. Go. No Monk. No Monk Good point. No Malik Monk as well. Go try to win this thing for us. Then, okay, LeBron's back. All right, LeBron's back. AD's not playing. You don't have a pick and roll partner. And this was earlier in the season. You don't have a pick and roll partner, but try to mesh with LeBron. Okay, no, wait. Now, all right, LeBron is out. AD is in. Let's run pick and roll with him. We need you to do this, this, and this. These things. Now, suddenly, it's okay. LeBron and AD are back. Oh, oh, and this other guy, Malik Monk, he's cooking. So now... We're going to run pick and roll still, but Russ, not with you. Not with you. We're going to run pick and roll with Malik Monk now. So, Russ, now you've got to figure out another way to make an impact. And you've got to do this off ball. And again, I'm not saying this to excuse Russell Westbrook. I'm just saying this is the point that Frank Vogel has brought up. It's been a rough go for Russell Westbrook in terms of his role. It's constantly shifted. And I think that well, that doesn't, again, that doesn't excuse the mislayups. It doesn't excuse the lack of attention to detail on the defensive end of the floor. It's just something that if we don't mention it, you were not looking at the full picture of what's going on here with Russell Westbrook. People are saying, well, why, why isn't he the guy that he was? Well, part of it is because everything around him is constantly changing and he's constantly trying to adjust. And that's not an easy thing for a guy like Russ. You can't say that, Trevor. You're making excuses, <laughs> man. Come on. Gosh. These, these Lakers Nation people, all they do is make excuses. <laughs> here's here's oh, the thing. Man. Okay. I wasn't sure if I was even going to mention this, but I guess I might as well get into it because we're halfway there at this point. Um, I have gotten almost every single day over the last month or so, which, by the way, my, my DMs are open on Twitter and everything like that and on Instagram. So I get people messaging me all the time. I've gotten... I mean, literally hundreds of Russell Westbrook trades sent to me. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about this? That's fine. No problem. But I have gotten every, just about every day, I get people coming at me saying, you're making excuses for Russell Westbrook. What it, I can't even listen to this. Why are you making excuses for us? If I say anything like what I, what I just said. And at the same time, I get people coming to me saying, you are, why are you blaming everything on Russ? It's not really Russ. It's this guy's fault. Now, part of that, part of that. And so I've got fans coming at me saying, you're being too hard on Russ. I've got fans coming at me saying, this is all Russ's fault. How dare you defend him at all? Um, it reminds me, honestly, of my of when I was teaching. I One of my first years, I got two emails the same day. One saying, that I wasn't going in-depth enough from, from parents. One saying I didn't go in-depth enough into the Holocaust, which is a topic that I was covering. Another one saying I was going too far, too far in-depth into the Holocaust and that it, I, I, I allowed too much of the disturbing elements. of it. Well, it's the Holocaust. It's disturbing, right? But yes. in any event, the reason why we do this, my approach to this, to basketball, to media in general, and again, it's probably formed by my experience in education is I try to present a rounded, a well-rounded look at things. And that's not really the way media is going right now. 
right? Now we've got, even if we talk, talk politically, which I'm not going to get into politics on here, but if we were to, to look at the way politics are covered in this country, you've got, okay, you go here if you think these things and you listen to these media sources and they're going to tell you exactly the things that you agree with. And then you go over to these media sources. If you think differently, if you think the other way, you go over to these media sources and they are going to tell you things that you agree with, right? We've be, we've getting to, we're getting to a point where we're not used to hearing things that don't line up with exactly what we think. And if we hear something that does and it's, oh, get rid of this, get rid of that. We're angry about hearing something that doesn't necessarily jive with what, with what we're thinking. And so with the Russell Westbrook thing and with everything though, again, coming from education, my goal was always, always to provide a well-rounded approach. My goal in the classroom for 13 years of doing this was that no, and I taught government, was no student at the end of the year should have any idea what my thoughts on politics are because I want to show every single side of everything. I want to make sure that I give, I give a well-rounded look at whatever we're, we're talking about, that I show both sides of an issue. And that's also me personally, how I'm wired. Sometimes I can be paralyzed by seeing that all the different sides of a particular issue. I, that's just how my brain works. So that's also how I approach things like this Russell Westbrook situation is I want to be able to show the entire picture and then let fans decide how they want to approach this. Do they want to see Russ as this tragic figure that deserves sympathy because everything's changing around him and, and poor Russell Westbrook getting booed in his hometown and how difficult must that be? Do they, do they want to not like Russell Westbrook? Cause he's not playing well for the Lakers and that's, that's their team. How do they want to approach this? I want to try to provide a well-rounded look at that. And I think sometimes that gets, that gets people upset because they hear me say, well, this, this, and this about Russell Westbrook's not good. Oh, but here's the good side. Well, they just hear the part that doesn't connect with what they already think about him. And then that's where I get messages coming in. So it's, it's interesting, but I wanted to make sure that I put out there how I approach this. And I think it's a little bit different than modern media. If you haven't guessed, I'm not into hot takes or things like that. So neither am I. Yeah. So that's my long witted soapbox, soapbox version of this is my general approach to things. And that's why you'll always hear me say, these are, these are the pros. These are the cons. This is what we're looking at with this situation. Cause I do believe there's two sides to every story. And I want to make sure that I cover all of that. Well, just a couple things to add on that one. You've already made a bunch of people angry, so <laughs> don't check your DMs today. Um, but all seriousness, I think that's how you have to look at sports in general. And like, as looking at things from both sides, like, again, yeah, like the Russell Westbrook thing, right? Yes, Russ has been bad. But, yes, you have to look at that and say, yeah, he's been bad defensively and whatnot. But he's had all, this, all these things changing around him. How hard is it that he's getting booed in his own city and stuff like that? Or just sports in general, like a trade. Okay, yeah, they did that, but and what can be a con of that, for example? That's not even being a pessimist. That's just looking at it from all sides of it. Um, and that's just how the world of sports is in general. And then lastly, uh, going all the way back to the Frank Vogel thing you mentioned earlier and why he kind of deflects blame from his players. You know, there's a current situation on the East Coast that kind of started from a coach 
uh, blaming his player after a loss. So that's kind of why you don't, that's why Frank Vogel doesn't take that style of approach. Because if that was the case, Russell Westbrook would probably be gone by now. That's definitely a good point. Um, I, I just think if, and there's plenty of debate shows that are out there and debate has merit. I just think if you're going to, if you're going to dig in on one side, what you wind up doing is completely dismissing anything that doesn't fit in with what the, the side that you chose is. If I were to come on here and say, Russell Westbrook is terrible. The Lakers need to get rid of him. I would be completely dismissive of any stat that looks positive towards him. I would be completely dismissive of, of yes. any of this other stuff yep. that I think has to be factored in when we look at what's going on with him. Or in the same thing with the other side. I get people saying, I love Russell Westbrook and nothing's going to change no matter what he does. Well, that's completely dismissive of anything on the negative side. I'm going to look at, at, at the whole picture and take in as much information as possible and make sure that we share that with you guys. So that's always kind of the approach that I've had to this show for the six years or so now that I've been doing this. All right. Yeah. Let's last yeah, thing I just want to mention. Sorry, coach. I know that we're this, we're not talking about this right now, but that's kind of the problem with debate shows. Like for example, off topic. So on my show a few years back, I said Giannis Antetokounmpo is not the best player in the league. And I used that. My main, my main reasoning was he had to perform well in the playoffs up to that point. Cause he had that series against Miami. He had that series against Toronto where he didn't play well. And then last season, he goes off in finals as a 50-piece in the game six of the finals, right? So you're, I'm basically saying that when in debate shows, if you make an argument, if I said Giannis is not the best player, I have to stick to that, even though my the basis of my argument was, well, Giannis is the player in the playoffs. Giannis drops 50 points in game six of the NBA finals to clinch the championship. And if I'm on a debate show, I have to ride with that. Uh, point which is obviously disproven now so i just want to throw it out there yeah i mean you've you have to be able to adapt to new information that comes in that's that's the way i tend to look at things and, and i think that's that's what you're talking Probably. about there as well all right let's yeah. let's open up the mailbag because i threw this out there on twitter and i knew we were going to talk trades on here i didn't want to spend the whole time talking trades though i knew as soon as we open up the mailbag though it's going to be 95 percent trade stuff so let's get into some of this stuff here that's coming out uh i've got dom at weekend 27 and this was sent to my twitter account at trevor underscore lane said what trade do you think the lakers will make by the trade deadline would you rather wait for the buyout market um so sean you can tell me if you agree but i have consistently said most likely what we're going to see happen is the lakers are going to make a move to free up a roster spot i think that's the easiest thing to do i think trading tht kendrick dunn the 2027 first i think they will try but my guess would be that they're not going to get what they would want in order to part with that stuff. So I think the most likely thing we see happen by Thursday is the Lakers make a move, ridding a guy like, like DeAndre Jordan or somebody like that from their roster so that they can open up, open, open up a spot. If something else happens, great, but that's how I'm approaching the trade deadline. Yeah, I think we've actually talked about this on the Lakers Nation post-game show because that's a frequent topic of discussion. But, yeah, I don't expect a big move or a big swing from the Lakers at the deadline, whether it's moving Bazemore, DeAndre Jordan, to be a player on the buyout market. But I think we talked about this off camera. It's a little too early to determine who's going to be available on the buyout market yet because we're in the middle of trade season. Exactly. Yeah, we'll wait until the – because every team, all the teams are out there right now, 
are putting out there, we will not buy this guy out. Goran Dragic, right? With the Raptors. No, we're going to find a trade for him. We're not going to buy him out. And sometimes that happens. Look at what happened with the Grizzlies and Andre Iguodala, right? They found a trade for him. But every team right now should be putting that message out there, regardless of what they actually think in terms of buying a player. You would much rather trade a player than buy him out, if possible. Because you buy him yes. out, that money's just yes. sitting on your books. If you can find a trade, great. Other teams, besides, if other teams catch wind that you might buy that player out, they're going to say, well, no, I'm not going to trade anything for him then. I'm just going to wait until you buy him out and he's on the market. So the buyout market is really hard to identify right now because every team, in order to try to have some kind of leverage, is saying, no, we love this guy. We're not buying this guy out. You have to give up something and we we really like him. You got to give us something if you want him. That's the message from every team right now, as it should be. So the buyout market won't really come into shape until after the trade deadline passes on Thursday. Uh, let's see. J.R. Martos, would you go all in for Jeremy Grant, giving up the 2027 first, if he accepts a third option role, or would you rather wait until the offseason to reassess the roster, Westbrook in parentheses, and then make a trade and try to rebuild a contender? So I, from what we've heard, the answer from the Pistons has been no, and not a surprise, on Kendrick Nunn, THT, the 2027 first, for Jeremy Grant. I think you have to add in a veteran minimum deal or something like that, but but that's the core of the deal. They've said no. Do you do, Sean, everything you can to get Jeremy Grant right now, or do you try to wait? I think you try to wait at this point. Again, I kind of talked about this in the past as well. There has to be better offers that the Pistons can get for Jamie Grant, which is why I think they've been saying no to the Lakers. And also another thing you have to mention is that Jamie Grant, you're going to have to resign him in the offseason as well. And then you have the Russell Westbrook thing. I, I, I'm not so sure. I, I think you just reassess the roster in the offseason, in my opinion. I don't think you can get him. That's that's number one. That's first and foremost, Same. I don't yep. think the Lakers have a shot at him. There's too many teams that have him at the, yep. on the top of their board right now as the guy they want yep. to trade for. So I don't think they can get him. Um, if they could, though, I'm at the point where I don't think they should. And the reason is not Same. because I dislike Jeremy Grant. I love I like Jeremy Grant a lot. I think he'd be a great fit. And yep. if there was if the Pistons called up right now and said, "Tht Kendrick Nunn the first Jeremy Grant, let's do it." If Jeremy Grant is telling you, "I don't want to be the third or fourth option." That's what you're hearing. And this this question is saying, what if he says he'll be the third option? Um, but that's what we're hearing, that he doesn't want to be that guy. And he's going to be a free agent, not this offseason, but next offseason. Yeah, my I bad. I think that's something you have to consider, right? That's something that, that's got to be a factor in your decision here. If he's telling you he doesn't want to be a Laker because he doesn't want to be that, and that's fine. It's up to every player to decide what it is that they want in their career. And he's letting you know ahead of time, hey, look, this is something that's really important to me. I want to be a second option at worst or, or whatever it is. Then, and most likely I would be leaving that summer if that's what I am. Um, I think you probably move on. I think you probably go look elsewhere because I don't want to bring in a player who doesn't want to be in my system and has already told me, I don't want to be, I don't want to be this, especially now that Malik Monk is going nuts. Because yeah. realistically we could be talking about Jeremy Grant as the fourth option. And then Russ gets bumped to the fifth option. Like, I, to me, I think that just that dynamic makes it not the right trade for the Lakers as much as his skill set would be a great fit if he wanted that role. But it's not. It's not. So you can't force that. 
Although I will mention a Russ, Monk, LeBron, Jeremy Grant, and AD lineup sounds really fun. Mm -hmm. Yes, it would be. Yes, it would be. That would be excellent. Um, Savage Beastie <laughs> said, Is Vogel's spot on the line? He fails to show the fire that keeps the team focused on winning. I get more technicals at home. Okay, so we want to see Vogel pick up pick up more technical fouls. What? So they're upset that Frank Vogel doesn't do and and sometimes, right? Again, think about the past. We think about some yeah. of the hot tempered coaches. Yeah, I, I immediately go to Bobby Knight throwing chairs. Um, we think about coaches from the past and we think about them arguing, getting in the face of the officials, picking up technical fouls, demonstrative, all that kind of stuff. That's not really Frank Vogel's style. He has picked up text before. He has gotten angry before, but that's not quite his temperament or his style. So I don't want to just say technical fouls equals good coach, right? Because that, but, but at the same time, the comment is being made that the team's not focused. And that's something that we've noticed. I even mentioned it super late last night on Twitter. I said, this team is really so, <laughs> it's so unpredictable what you're going to get. The Lakers, after that loss to the Clippers, should have come out against the Knicks angry, energized, fired up. This is the kind of game where you go and you take out your frustration on the next team. The Memphis Grizzlies did this just recently. Um, the Suns just the, did it. Yeah, Man, the Suns lose a game. They go beat, was it the Thunder or the oh, Pistons while like 15-20? My gosh. Yeah, they were, they were upset, which you should be. That's what you would expect. Instead, the Lakers come out against the Knicks and just look like, eh, whatever. And then suddenly second half, they're like, oh, yeah, okay, we're going to play basketball again. There's something weird about this team, and I don't know if it's Frank Vogel. I don't know if it's the head coach. I don't know if it's just the chemistry makeup of the team. But something is weird because when this team should be angry, should be upset, should be frustrated, should be fired up, they're not. They're not. And then they randomly turn it on at, at strange times like – I don't know how much of that can be attributed to Vogel, but it's weird to the point where it's it's super noticeable and something that I can't think of many teams, and maybe it's because teams that do this are forgettable, but I can't think of many teams that have this type of, I, I don't know if I want to say tenacity or whatever it is in terms of trying to bounce back and have that kind of consistent energy. Yeah, I think it might have to do with, like, the roster. Maybe you have a lot of veteran guys. And I think with Frank's coaching style, I think it relies on the player. Like, the players have to get up for games. I think that's what it just comes down to. You're on prime time. You're facing a bad Knicks team. But you're, what, I think at that point, 25 and 28. You're battling for a playing spot. Like, there needs to be a player on this team. I don't care if it's Austin Reeves, THT, or DeAndre Jordan or Kent Bazemore, somebody on this team has to yell in the huddle. If it's not going to be Frank, it can't be Frank. I don't care who it is. But some, when the Lakers get down eight and Frank calls that early timeout, somebody needs to go on the huddle and pull a Udonis Haslam and throw a chair and just yell at everybody in the huddle and tell them to pick it up. Like, that needs to happen instead of the Lakers just being down 20 and then saying, oh, crap, yeah, we, we want to make this competitive. And then as Matt, the optimist Peralta would make a relationship joke, they'll break your heart eventually and leave you. So there we go. Sorry, Matt. I stole your, your I, I, my bad. I think he'll forgive you for that one, but 
is it maybe it's Jared Dudley? Maybe 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 that's what's maybe that's what's missing. <laughs> maybe. I don't, I don't maybe. know. Maybe. Maybe it's Jared. Missing. Maybe it's Jared Dudley not being there. That's that's the one. Uh, Vic maybe. Roman said, "Any chance the Lakers can get Kenrich Williams or a Kenrich Williams type player for a second rounder?" So the Oklahoma City Thunder have said, "We want a first. Not a surprise. Not a surprise. Every team right now wants. Oh, you want our player? First round pick, right? The Rockets they want a first for Eric Gordon. The Pacers just got a first for Karis Levert. Um, every team wants a first for their guy, except for apparently the Portland Trailblazers." By the way, how on earth did Karis LeVert just get more in a trade than Robert Covington and Norman Powell? Did you see what Norman Powell did, by the way, for the Clippers? The Clippers lost tonight to the Bucks. Yeah, points. Yeah. Off the bench in like 23 minutes. And the Pacers just got more for Karis LeVert than like a lot, significantly more. Than what the Clippers just more. paid for Norman Powell. Pacers, you are doing it, or, or Blazers, you are doing this wrong. The The decision to rebuild is okay, that's fine. And I'm not saying they're fully rebuilding because they've got Damian Lillard. They're trying to free up space. Maybe this turns into something. But my goodness, I try to look at all the angles, right? And I can see, all right, <laughs> all right, maybe they're going to be able to get this get this figured out. Maybe they're going to free up space. It's going to make them able to do some things in the off season. Okay. Maybe this works out. Maybe, maybe, but just in terms of value, it's really tough to see what they were thinking with that trade. Anyway, that is, that is completely off topic, but uh, Kenrich Williams right now, Oklahoma city thunder, they want a first. Every team wants a first yeah. at the trade deadline. Once except the Blazers. Except the Blazers. Once the trade deadline gets here, the teams may come off their asking price. But if it's a second and a player, if it's a second and Kendrick Nunn for Kenrich Williams, are you doing that? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think part of it is because Kendrick Williams fills a need for the Lakers, and we haven't seen Kendrick Nunn play at all this season. So I think the Lakers, if the Thunder throws that off on my table, uh, I'm running it to everybody in the front office and saying, hey, sign this. We need to get this done now or something else happens. Uh, So yeah, I I would do this deal if if I'm the office, front office, if this trade were offered to me. I'm I'm in agreement. I'd probably do that as well, but I don't think I think the Thunder are going to want more that. Uh, by the way, yeah, for sure. If we're, we're talking about, and you guys can check all this out on the NBA front office show. I always put the link uh, down below if you're on the YouTube channel. Yep. Uh, but the Thunder are a team to watch. They are a team. They actually have to take on salary. Well, they don't have to, but they're below the salary floor now that they've had some trade exceptions expire. So they're below the salary floor. They have to add salary to to reach the league minimum salary. Now it's not the worst thing if they don't just. What happens is whatever the difference is gets divided up between all their players. So if they're, I don't know, if they're 15 million under the salary floor and there's 15 guys on the roster, then in theory, each guy would get a million bucks. That's not exactly how they divide it up, but each guy gets a million bucks and then off you go. 
right? So you're automatically, the bottom line is they're paying that much money no matter what. So they're going to act as a dumping ground here at the trade deadline. And so that's something to keep in mind though with the Lakers who might want to dump a salary like DeAndre Jordan or, or whoever. Um, and guess what the Thunder are going to want? Picks. That's, they're trying to get all the picks out there. They're trying to collect them all. So keep that in mind. But yeah, that's, that's something I would do. Related question here uh, at Gerard said, how much better do, do the Lakers get if a healthy nun returns? So Kendrick Nunn, we saw him working out before the most recent game against the Knicks. Let's say finally he gets on the floor and he's healthy. How much of an impact does that make? I think he makes a really good impact for the Lakers. Uh, one thing I've always been curious about, and this is something Frank Vogels and the coaching staff is going to have to figure out, whose minutes do you take away and how in, even bigger, which is why it's kind of it's going to be really interesting. How does THT's role change? Because THT, Taylor and Tucker, his role has now become that facilitator when Russell Westbrook's off the floor, that's actually why they went for a Russ and THT swap to start overtime because that's kind of T Taylor Horn Tucker's role now is the secondary facilitator and ball handler to get the ball out of LeBron James's hands all the time. Uh, and when Anthony Davis is out, they would do a lot of stuff with LeBron at the five and THT as a ball handler. Um, so I'm curious how that how his role would change. But I think Kendrick, you know, when he gets back, he was a starter for the Heat when they went to the finals, and he was averaging, I think, roughly 18 points a game on that team. So he's going to make an impact. Um, but I'm really curious how this affects guys like not like not none, but uh, THT and Russ, and whose minutes does Frank Vogel and the, and the coaching staff take away from? I think not having him has been a, a problem this season. The Lakers, yeah, they went into the season planning on, okay, this is the one guy we spent the mini-mid-level exception on. We're expecting yes. him to do some things. We're expecting him to be potentially a guard off the bench. Some people talked about, do you do, do you go small in your backcourt and start him so that his scoring ability, his shooting ability can kind of help mitigate any issues that you see from Russ. And obviously that's not happening with, with Malik Monk playing as well as he has. But in terms of having another ball handler off the bench, I think it's important, but I don't know what he's got. We don't, we don't know. Like it, he has deployed the yeah, season. If, if he comes back and he's healthy, which is a big if that doesn't healthy doesn't mean he's at a hundred percent of his basketball ability. Healthy means physically, right? But he's going to be out of rhythm. He hasn't played basketball all season. He's going to need time to ramp up. So it's not just, and the season is we're running out of time in the season. So it's not just, can he get back on the floor? Yeah. It's, can he get it back on the floor and be a player who makes a difference because it might take a little while to knock the rust off. And by that point, who knows where the Lakers are at in their season? We don't even know when he's coming back. So I would hesitate to say that him coming back healthy is going to change a lot. I think if we had a DeLorean, we go back in time, get it up to 88. Kendrick Nunn, at the beginning of the season, had he never gotten hurt, is probably making an impact throughout the season. What version yes. of Kendrick Nunn we get if and when he comes back, I don't know. It could be that the amount of time it takes for him to really get his legs under him is so great that you run out of time. Um, hopefully that's not the case, but I, a fully healthy Kendrick Nunn, I don't know if that means you're getting the guy that you saw last year with Miami until we get him out there on the floor. Yeah, I mean, he averaged close to 15 points a game on 38% from three, 
from the field in, in total. And that's with, like, compared to his first year in Miami, he shot two less field goal attempts last year, but was more efficient from three and from the field while averaging roughly the same amount of points. Um, so, yeah, if is healthy, which, again, we might not see THT at his full basketball capabilities this season, which is definitely problematic for the Lakers, considering they used their full middle-level exception on him in the offseason. All right, I do want to finish with this, and I say finish because we've gone way over time. Once again, every time I sit down to do one of these podcasts, I say, oh, I'm going to do about 30 minutes, and then it, 30, it winds up minutes. being an hour. It's just, I don't know. We, I start talking Lakers, and next thing you know. That means we've yeah, enjoyed that, it. That, that's what it is. I start talking Lakers, time just flies. But this is where we're at. Last question. Vic Nanexel, great name, said, yes, Russ has been bad. But he couldn't have fallen off this drastically from last year when he averaged a triple-double, led the NBA in assists, career high in rebounding, led the Wizards to the playoffs, etc. How much of this is Vogel making no adjustments to set up Russ to succeed? So, does Frank Vogel share any of the blame for Russell Westbrook not working out so far this season? I see what you did here. Kind of make it go all back full right. circle. You're a smart, you're a clever guy, Trevor. Um, but literally, like going back, we kind of talked about this a little bit earlier. There is a lot of different reasons that you can attribute to Russell Westbrook having a down year. I think a big reason, again, is the fact that his role has changed a lot. Not only because he's coming into the Lakers after leading that Wizards team when Bradley Beal went down uh, to being the third option, but the players he's playing with, you have... Start off the year, okay, I'm the third option. I could do some pick-and-roll stuff with AD, and then we have LeBron on the floor, right? LeBron goes down. Okay, so I'm going to do a pick-and-roll partner to make a game with AD. Crap, AD goes down. LeBron's back in now. Okay, uh, we'll figure it out. Now you go LeBron to five, so I still can do some pick-and-roll stuff there. LeBron's out. AD's back. And then now Malik Monk's entered the frame, playing really well. So I think that's a big key. I think Frank has done some things to, to you know, try to help Russ succeed. But I think at the end of the day, I think it's just a lot of different things that is really, like, kind of crashing down and is, like, making the season for Russell Westbrook even. Like, I don't think if you told me at the beginning of the season that Russ was going to be this poor uh, on both ends of the floor, quite frankly, I don't think I would have believed you. But I think all these different things – have really caused uh, this thing kind of spiral out of control. So long, long story short, Frank has done some things. I don't think Frank's done the best job. Uh, like some of the rotations, even in the lineups, you're putting Russ on the floor with. Like what? What was it? Was it Russ, DJ, Trevor Ariza, Avery Bradley, and maybe THC? Like who's gonna score in that lineup? Look at the dare Russell Westbrook to shoot the three, and if he makes it, who cares? <laughs> you're not. Yeah. There we go. So that's my long yeah. answer. I think that Frank Vogel has, and, and you're right, that, that lineup was atrocious. I, I really sum it up with this. Is the juice worth the squeeze? Every player hits a point in their career where whatever it is that they do that needs to be fixed, overlooked, you hit a point where it's no longer worth it to do that. You look at what the Houston Rockets had to do in order to get the best version of Russell Westbrook, right? They they went small. They traded away Clint Capella. They did all that. And Russ was, was good for them. Uh, Russ was good last year. 
the Lakers have made some adjustments. Frank Vogel, it's not in his nature to go small. Frank Vogel is defense first, and he's come out and said, I think we're worse defensively when we go small. But he sees the benefit on the offensive end that you get, and part of that involves Russell Westbrook, and he's biting the bullet. He's got to be pulling his hair out watching the defense when he, in his mind, he's thinking, oh my gosh, if I had a big in here, this would be... I know I am. <laughs> if, I, if I had a big in here, this would help. But he made the adjustment of, we're going to go small. And part of that is, you're helping Anthony. It's not just Russ, but that's part of the equation here. How do you get a good version of Russell Westbrook with a big sitting in the dunker spot and their defender sitting up there? You pretty much have to run high screen roll every time with Russ and try to get him isolated against that big. And even then, it's tough. It's hard to really get the kind of spacing you need for Russell Westbrook to be successful when you're going big. It's just difficult. And so Vogel made the adjustment. He went small. Part of that is for Russ. But in order to make the adjustments to get the very best version of Russell Westbrook, and Russ is not like LeBron. He's not like Anthony Davis. If AD's the four, he's a really good player. If AD's the five, he's a really good player. LeBron can be the one, and he's going to be great. LeBron can be the five, and he's going to be great. You can put him in a big lineup. You can put him in a slow lineup. You can put him in an up-tempo lineup. It doesn't matter. He's going to be great. The same is not true for Russell Westbrook. It's not. Russell Westbrook is delicate in that the environment around him has to be perfect in order for him to truly thrive. Okay? That's what he he needs, very specific things in order to thrive. But sometimes in creating that environment, you hurt the games of other players. You can diminish other things that you're doing. You, you can weaken your defense. Uh, you can change who's getting looks where on the offensive end. As a team, you can take a step back by getting the best out of that specific player. There comes a point for each player where the juice is no longer worth the squeeze. The things that you have to do in order to get the best out of them no longer result in winning basketball. I'm not saying 100% this is where we're at with Russell Westbrook. I'm not saying Frank Vogel has bent over backwards to create the perfect environment for us and everything's been in Frank. There's just nothing more Frank can do. I'm not trying to defend Frank Vogel here. I think he's made some questionable decisions in terms of rotations and things like that. But that's a possibility that we have to consider that the things you have to do in order to get the best version of Russell Westbrook simply aren't worth doing if team success is the goal. Yeah, I think you I think you hit a spot on there. And it, it it's tough. And hopefully Frank can do a good job of managing the rotations. And again, it, it's a really rough situation. Like the leading minutes lineup for the Lakers has only played 77 minutes or what, 50, what, six, maybe uh, 55, 54. maybe 54 games. 54 games into the season now. So playing 77 minutes as your highest lineup is not ideal. By the way, just food for thought. The Warriors, for example, right? Their highest lineup has played, in terms of minutes, their most minutes for a lineup is 347. (laughs) The highest for a Laker lineup is 77. That, that's a problem, and that's where I'm getting at. So hopefully the Lakers can get a good luck of help, and you know we get to see some of the rotations that Frank really wants to run out there. I think that will help Russ not having to 
put on 70 different hats uh, throughout a, a season. And hopefully we get to see some of the better Russell Westbrook lineups and not lineups where he's playing with DeAndre Jordan, Trevor Ariza, THT, and Avery Bradley. Because, again, they could just zone you and dare you to shoot. And, and quite frankly, I would do that too. Yeah, I mean, that, that lineup is basically praying that they can get a stop or a turnover and have the opportunity to run and not have to do to play a half-court offense because that that's not good. All right, let's wrap things up there. Again, we went way over time, which is now becoming a recurring theme. But everybody, I appreciate you for joining us. If you're watching the YouTube version of this, make sure you are subscribed to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel. Turn on those notifications as well, especially heading up to the trade deadline. You know we're going to be all over any breaking news. Yes. Uh, if you listen to the podcast version, make sure you follow us over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Once again, thank you, everybody, for being here. Thank you, everybody, for listening, for watching. Truly appreciate it. Till next time, everybody, stay safe and see ya. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.